It, it's an honor and uh, good to be with you this morning. It's good to worship together, isn't it? He's worthy. Well, welcome. If this is your first time or if this is home, welcome. You're welcome as you are. The reality is God loves you just as you are this morning, and he loves you too much to leave you that way. <laughs> Amen. Luke 4, he said he came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to give you beauty for your ashes. So I don't know what you walked in with today, but you don't have to leave the ashes outside. He actually wants to meet you right in that spot this morning, okay? You are welcome as you are, and he loves us too much to leave us that way. We're, uh, we're in a series entitled Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. The main premise of that series being that our discipleship to Jesus, our being formed more into his image, it's going to be pretty important that we do that below the surface of our lives, below the... Uh, that iceberg, the tip of the iceberg that everybody sees above the waterline, that's not where our spiritual formation happens. That's the stuff on the outside, but where he wants to heal our broken hearts and form us more into the image of his son, Romans 8, that happens below the waterline of our lives. And so having some language and context for that journey, the journey inward into our inner lives is, is helpful. So we're in week three of that series of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And today's message is titled, Going Back to Go Forward. He's taking you forward. He's got a forward for you. There's more for you. There's more to your story. And to go where he's inviting each of us, I believe it's important for us to go back in some ways. Um, if you're anything like me, maybe over the last couple of weeks, you've said, hey, Wayne, Emotionally healthy spirituality, those words are never used in the Bible. Did you know that? Jesus never said, you won't find emotionally healthy spirituality in the red letters in your Bible. You won't even find it in your concordance in a topical study. You also won't find homeschool or public school. You also won't find conservative or liberal. You also won't find how much Netflix should I watch, how much screen time should my kids have. In other words, there are lots of important conversations that we don't see in your Strong's Concordance and that Jesus doesn't explicitly name, and yet they're important conversations, amen? Okay, so God's got a lot to say to us about what's going on in here. And if you were here last week, Wayne talked about the three temptations of the false self that Jesus is tempted with after 40 days in the wilderness. You might remember he's baptized, he hears the audible voice of his father, says, I love you, I'm pleased with you. Then he's led, interesting, by the Spirit. <laughs> the Spirit leads him into the desert. That's interesting. Where he then fasts for 40 days, and we get that wonderful detail that Wayne shared last week, which is that he was hungry. Thank God. Uh, that God is actually hungry after 40 days of fasting, too. Uh, in a, he's not so much God that he's not also human. He knows you and me. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, if you've ever spent any time in a 12-step program. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Jesus is lots of those, I would imagine, after 40 days of fasting. That's when the devil comes to him. Those three temptations, if you remember last week, to define ourselves by what we do, by what we have and what others say about us. And I don't know about you, but last week as I was listening to Wayne, I was like, dang, he's reading my mail up there right now. It's like, why has he got to talk about me from up front? <laughs> the temptation to define myself by what others say about me is something that goes, um, 
as far back in my life as I can remember. We're tempted in the very same ways that Jesus was, and he has a lot to say to us about that today. You might also say, hey, Adam, why would we need to go back in order to go forward? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, they're, they're a new creation. The old's gone, the new has come, right? Isn't that true? Yes, it is true. Amen. Colossians 1, we have been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. That's also true. And it's also true in Philippians 2 that Paul encouraged the believers at that church in Philippi to continue, interesting, continue to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if it's all finished at the cross, and I 1,000% believe it is, what would there be to continue working out about our salvation? I'm so glad you asked that question. That's, that's what we're here to talk about this morning. There's a formation, there's a discipleship, there's an apprenticeship to Jesus that continues to happen long after we say yes and yield our lives to him. So if you're going, wait, I'm not sure the prayer worked. <laughs> Maybe I need to pray that salvation prayer again. No, you just need to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, just like the rest of us. This is an ongoing thing. And I believe going back to go forward is a big part of what Paul would then say to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4 when he said, put off your old self in order that you might put on the new. So there's this element of, even after I'm saved, of putting off the old self, the old patterns, and living in to the new. Can I share a story with you all this morning? I've got the Britney Spears microphone, so I'm going to share it no matter if you want me to or not. Uh, this is a story that illustrates for me the idea of going back to go forward. Um, I was in counseling, big fan of counseling, by the way. Uh, I'm not going to speak on behalf of the mustard seed, just on behalf of, of myself, but you should go to counseling. It's a good thing. Um, it's helpful to have help. Uh, I was, okay, now I'm going to get vulnerable in front of a room full of people that I've just met pretty recently, but uh, my divorce was final February 20th of 2020, so I'm about 18 months out from that. I uh, grew up in a, a really amazing family. There's no divorce anywhere in my family. This came very much out of left field for me and shattered the future that I had dreamt about my whole life. Um, so I was in counseling one day, <laughs> and um, we were talking about some of the patterns that I had begun to realize were my contribution to the unhealth that was there. Now, the reality is it wasn't my fault, and it wasn't not my fault. It's somewhere in between, okay? So I'm not, not, this is not the blame time of Sunday morning. Um, this is just going, I realized that I contributed in lots of ways. Lots of things that were out of my control, and I contributed. So as I was starting to unravel some of those patterns, I'm realizing, man, I'm a, I'm a pretty classic middle child. I really like for everybody to be happy. Like, if you're happy, I'm happy. Even if I'm not happy. I'm pretty needless, or I like to think that I am, pretty agreeable, pretty easygoing, lots of people I can get along with. That's all good stuff, and I found out in marriage that I could also be fairly passive-aggressive <laughs> because I wasn't really talking about what was going on in here. I was just trying to keep everybody happy around me. Some of you are like, uh-oh. Pretty unwilling to confront, pretty conflict-avoidant pretty unaware of my emotional and inner world. 
And it was as I was talking about some of that that my counselor said, what's the earliest time you can think of that you remember feeling that way? What's the earliest time in your life? How old do you feel when you think about that? And all of a sudden, boom, I'm five years old. <laughs> five years old, and me and my brother are playing. He's two years older than I am, got an older brother and a younger sister, Ryan. Uh, he and I are very different. He always knows what he wants, always knows what he thinks. He's a leader, uh, makes him a great pastor. <laughs> he always has an opinion. Um, also made him a fairly challenging kid, I think, for my folks to raise, and a fairly challenging older brother to have at times. Well, on this particular day, he and I are playing cops and robbers, or more like he's playing cops and robbers with me. Uh, he's got me tied to the tree in the front yard. Some of the moms in the room were like, yeah, I saw that one in my front yard yesterday. He's got me tied to the tree in the front yard with a piece of rope, don't know where he found that. And now, I don't know where he found the lighter either, but now he's starting to light the rope on fire. And so, y'all, I'm in this counselor's office, and it's like, boom, I'm seeing this, like, my childhood right in front of me. So he's starting to light the rope on fire. That's precisely when mom comes through the front door, like that, that sixth sense that moms have of, like, something is not right here. Mom comes through the front door. It's like, <laughs> grabs Ryan by the ear, drags him, unties me, takes me inside, sets us both down at the kitchen table, and I vividly remember her flipping open the yellow pages. Y'all remember that big book with all the numbers in it? Yeah, yeah. Yellow pages, boom, to a dog-eared page. And she goes, Ryan, if you ever hurt your brother again, this, this is the military academy that I'm sending you away to. It's like circled in like a big red Sharpie, you know. This is the military academy I'm sending you away to. Okay, stop for a second. As a five-year-old kid, this is not a conscious thing that's happening in my brain. But what Adam, little five-year-old Adam, decided in that moment was, there's only one difference between Ryan and Adam play, and everything's fine, and Ryan and Adam play, and Ryan gets sent to military school, family's broken up, mom is brokenhearted, I lose my brother. The only difference to that five-year-old version of me, if I cry, if I have needs, if I have emotions, if I make a sound. So I decided, not consciously, but this is how it works, y'all. These are the formational experiences of our lives that set their trajectory and patterns for how we relate in the world for the rest of our lives, unless we do some intentional discipleship around this stuff. And I decided I will be the needless one. I will cause no one any trouble. Because when I cause trouble crying, being upset, I, I run the risk of losing the relationships I hold most dear. Okay, so that's what f that looks like at five years old. And then you play that out as a 34, 35, 36-year-old person in marriage, and it comes down to date night, and I have no idea where I want to go to dinner. It's like, where do you want to go to? I don't know. I'm trying to come up with the answer that I thought she was going to give. <laughs> I have no clue where I want to go to dinner. I don't know what I think, I don't know what I want, I don't know what my dreams are. And I give you the example of date night, but you could play that out into other conversations that are, have far more gravity to them than where are we going to dinner. And it's hard to have a relationship with someone who's just a shell trying to keep the world at peace around them. So, for me, that formational experience in my past set a trajectory. It set up, set up a pattern in my life that I participated with for lots of years. How about you? Yours are, yours are not the same as mine, but you've got your own. 
your own formational experiences. Maybe you were the, the oldest kid and you were pretty good in school and just figured out that if I keep getting good grades, people keep and I'll just do it by the book. I'll be the, the dependable one. Maybe you felt forgotten or abandoned. I don't know. Maybe your parents didn't come to those games, to that concert, to that thing that you were interested in, and you felt abandoned or forgotten. Maybe you grew up in a home that was unsafe. And for you, just staying quiet, staying silent, staying hidden was the way that you learned to make life work. I don't know what your formational experiences are at 5 or 7 or 12 or 14, but I know that you have them. And I know that in order for us to, um, in order for us to go where God has for us to go, there's a really good chance we're going to have to go back and understand some of that stuff. Not live in the past again, not go back there and set up shop, set up camp, but at least have some awareness of those things so that we don't have to just keep playing out the same patterns day after day after day, year after year after year. That sounds pretty good, huh? To not just keep doing the same old, same old. God the Father again says, I see you right where you are and I love you too much to leave you there. And his invitation for us is let's go back so that we can go forward. So the story of Joseph we get in uh, Genesis 37 through 50. I'm not going to read you 14 chapters of Genesis this morning. Somebody say amen. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to paraphrase because God's word has a lot to say to us about this going back to go forward. And the story of Joseph is one of those ones that highlights it in a really beautiful way. I'll just catch us up so we have some context together, and then I want to share three highlights and... uh, and we'll see what God wants to do with those, okay? So Joseph is born to, uh, to Rachel and to Jacob. He's the youngest of 12 brothers. His brothers hate him, okay? So we've got some sibling rivalry going on here. There's a ton of lies and deceit and hatred in his family. It's not the most awesome upbringing you've ever heard of. Eventually, his brothers throw him into a well. They hate him so much. And then sell him into slavery. Stop just short of killing him. Sell him into slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's household in Egypt, performs well. Potiphar takes notice. All of a sudden, he's in charge of Potiphar's household. Things are going great. Potiphar's wife accuses him of sexual assault, which he did not do. He's thrown into jail. Things are not going so great now. He tells the, uh, interprets the dreams of two prisoners. One of those gets let out and goes back to being the cupbearer for Pharaoh. Eventually, Pharaoh has a dream that he can't interpret. And cupbearer says to Pharaoh, hey, I remember this guy. He interpreted my dream while I was in prison. Pharaoh says, send for him. Joseph's taken out of prison. This is now years down the line. Joseph is brought out of prison into Pharaoh's presence where he then interprets Pharaoh's dream for him. Some of you might remember this story. Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he puts him in charge, basically second in command of all of Egypt. And then there's a famine in the land And Joseph's family, his brothers and his dad, who he hasn't seen since they threw him in a well and sold him into slavery, they're also starving. So they travel to Egypt because they've heard that there's grain there. And his brothers show up in Egypt, and who do they stand in front of to ask for grain? Joseph. Except for they don't recognize Joseph. 
Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. They have multiple interactions, and eventually Joseph gets to see both the, his next oldest brother, who didn't go with the brothers initially to Egypt to ask for grain, and he gets to see his father. And Joseph ends up being this symbol of forgiveness and blessing, and I believe living beyond the patterns that he was handed from his family and his upbringing. It's this really beautiful picture of the power, I believe, the power of God to really deeply transform us so that we could actually live as a blessing to other people, even to the people who have wounded us the most. Whoa. Even to the people who have wounded you the most. So, three points out of that story. First is this, awareness of our history empowers us to embrace reality. Awareness of our history empowers us to embrace reality. Here's the deal. Reality is where God meets us, not in our fantasy land, not also in our false selves where we propped up all this stuff to keep ourselves safe, safe and make life work for us, okay? He wants to meet you in the ashes of your life, not the cleaned up version that looks good on Sunday morning. Hey, brother, how are you? Oh, I'm blessed, too blessed to stress. We, we put on this thing when we show up to church on Sunday morning. He's like, no, no, no. I want the real version of you. I'm here to, here to heal the real broken heart you've got. He's like, come on. You can be yourself with me. Reality is where God meets us. It's been said that all spirituality is attempting to beckon us back to reality. Is your spirituality, is your daily life with Jesus getting you more in touch with the truth of who you actually are in here? Emotionally healthy spirituality because he meets us in the real of what's going on in here. Joseph didn't bury or stuff the hurt of his past and when his brothers came to Egypt to buy grain, they don't recognize him but he recognizes them. And watch this, Genesis 42 will be on the screen here. Watch how Joseph reacts when he's confronted with the pain of his past. I don't know what it would like for, I'm not going to ask you to confront your pain right here in front of all of us on Sunday morning. What would it be like for you or for me to confront like the deepest pain of our past? Joseph gives us a pretty sweet model. Genesis 42, 21 through 24. Hey, look at that. Come on. It works. Thank you, Lord. They said to one another, these are Joseph's brothers, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. And check this out, verse 23. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Okay, so they think they're just speaking to some high-ranking Egyptian official. He knows these are his brothers. He speaks their language, but he's using an interpreter to go from Egyptian, Egyptian? Whoa. Tongue's getting a little tied. From his language to theirs. So he's listening to this conversation they're having. He's listening to them recount, throwing him in the well, leaving him for dead, then going, oh, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Look at this, verse 24. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. 
Y'all, it's seven different times in the story of Joseph that the Bible tells us he wept. (laughs) Seven different times over these interactions with his brothers. You know what that says to me? This is not a person who has stuffed the pain of his past. This is a person whose heart is available and still actually being affected by the reality of what his brothers did to him. Jesus is not saying to you, forget it. Forget that it happened. That is not the way that he wants to heal your broken heart. Joseph weeps. He hasn't forgotten the hatred of his brothers, how they wounded him, the abandonment, how worthless he must have felt. So these formative experiences shape Joseph, just like me getting tied to that tree in the front yard, then thinking it was all my fault and that I better make sure I didn't cause anyone any trouble. But he's willing to let himself feel it. He's aware of his history, and that allows him to embrace reality. So that's point one. Point two is this, family matters. Family matters. In other words, the family you grew up in, the house you grew up in, those close relationships, they taught you something about life. They taught me something about how life works, how to keep myself safe, how to avoid shame, how to feel like I belong. And you and I, we just, we get into these patterns of just making life work day after day. It would be helpful for us then if, again, Romans 8, he's shaping us into the likeness of his son as the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It would be helpful then to understand what those patterns are so that we can, Ephesians 4, put them off to then put on the new self, to be clothed in the likeness of the Son. So these family commandments that we grow up with, um, they're, they're different in every family, but see if any of these ring any bells for you. Money is the best and the only security. The more you have of it, the more important you are. Money proves that you've made it in some way. I don't know if that's what your family taught you. I think that's probably out there with lots of our families. Or how about conflict? Conflict is something to be avoided at all costs. Don't get people mad at you. Do whatever it takes to keep people happy. Or if you're going to get in a conflict,
apprenticeship to Jesus that he's got for you, it's going to require some putting off to then put on. And again, not to go back and live in that place, but simply enough to understand and go, whoa, what's gotten me this far? It's not going to take me where I'm going next. There are ways that you and I have made life work to this point, and God is saying you don't have to keep doing that. I know that that worked for you as a five-year-old kid. That helped keep you alive. It doesn't have to be what turns you into a 40-year-old man next year. You can do something different. You don't have to keep doing those same patterns. Okay. The third point is this. Exploration enables transformation. Exploration enables transformation. Another way to say that is honest reflection enables a different future. Honest reflection enables a different future. You and I can't heal wounds we won't acknowledge. <laughs> And we will not change patterns that we don't see. We'll just keep doing them day after day after day after day. These patterns, they all began somewhere. I told you the story of me being five years old. That pattern persisted. It was persistent into my 39th year of living. But it's changing. Thank you, Jesus. And it's not changing because I just tried to forget about it and stuff. It's changing because I looked at it enough to go, whoa, I actually don't want to keep doing that. And I actually believe that the love of God could transform that thing in my life too. And it's helpful to explore the origins of these patterns by spending time with the counsel of the Holy Spirit and the company of trusted others, allowing him to highlight the formational experiences that set some of these patterns up. Um, I totally skipped Genesis 45. We're just going to go ahead and skip it and go to 50. Listen to, uh, listen to how Joseph, uh, after his father's died, sums up this whole thing, this whole, basically his entire story to this point. Genesis 50, 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. They're still thinking he's ready to get revenge. They know what they did to him, and they're still waiting for the other shoe to drop. 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He's still feeling it. Verse 18. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, listen to this, as for you, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, so do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Then he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Did you catch that? The same brothers that threw him in a well, left him for dead, then sold him into Egypt, He's able to say to them, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Stunning. The 
and stunning in the presence of the people that had hurt him the most. He's able to see beyond, he's able to see beyond that history to the purposes of God in the midst of it. To bring about something that none of them could have imagined. And he's able to walk in forgiveness and trust and blessing, even towards the people that wounded him the most. Wow. I don't know about you, but I would like to live that way. I would like to live that way. That kind of transformation only follows exploration led by the Holy Spirit. Joseph had explored his past enough to not be defined by it. Uh, anybody want to not be defined by their past? Yeah, yes, amen. He's gone back with God, and he's then able to go forward in forgiveness, hope, and generosity, even towards the people who wounded him the most. So let me just say, I understand this is a heavy, <laughs> this is a heavy topic, uh, uncomfortable. There's some tension there, like, whoa, man, I've spent years, years trying to just forget the past. So now you want me to go back and explore it with Holy Spirit as your guide. Yes. Yes, that's what I'm inviting you to. I would imagine there are areas of our discipleship, of our apprenticeship to Jesus. You know, this whole, wait, how long has it been? Like six, it's probably been like six months of being like Jesus, being, being with Jesus, being with Jesus, becoming more like him. I love it. Because what else are we actually doing? What else are we doing with our lives? If that's not the point, you and I are just, just running around out there busy. He is forming us into the image of the Son as the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. So this becoming more like Jesus, I'm not sure there's a more important topic, sermon series, uh, pursuit of our lives. And for us to go there, it's going back to go forward under the leadership and the counsel of the Holy Spirit, I think is essential. So some practicals for us as we close. Uh, the worship team, y'all can come on back up front, and Wayne's going to come up and join me here. We're going to, I don't know, share the mic. It's going to be awesome. Pass it back and forth. We're, um, we're moving towards ministry time, which is simply a chance for us to pray for each other. I love that, that we get to be the church for each other. The church isn't this building. It's the bodies in it, and we get to, ooh, and we get to... That's true. That's true. And we get to participate with that and, and pray for each other. So um, there'll be some worship here in a moment, and, and we'll get a chance to pray for each other. But before we do that, um, this week, maybe this afternoon, maybe it's tomorrow morning with a cup of coffee, here's what I'm inviting you to. And here's what I think the life of Joseph would invite us to to go, Holy Spirit, would you show me one of those formational experiences? Would you show me where this pattern of needing to prove my worth by performing or by being the quiet, agreeable one, or the one who doesn't cause anyone any trouble, would you show me where that started? Would you show me that seven-year-old version of me that was just trying to make the world work, figure this thing out, and set up some patterns that I'm still playing out today. Holy Spirit, would you show me? Would you take me back? And 
Maybe it's the pattern that it's too risky to let anyone in, so I'll just stay busy. Maybe that's you. And the one that says, I'm loved if I perform well, so I hold myself to an exhausting standard of achievement. Or maybe it's the one that says, I'm the forgotten one. I'm the one that's not going to be chosen. Where did that thing start? He wants to heal our broken hearts today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. He wants to heal our broken hearts. And this practice of just saying, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you want to take me back to in order that you can take me forward? You don't have to do what you've done to this point. So that's my invitation to you. Holy Spirit, is there anything that you take me back to? And then in your life group this week, the idea would just be to share that stuff with each other. And can I just say, the idea this week in life groups, if when someone shares something, a transformational experience, like I was just talking about from up front, please don't give them advice. Please don't give them advice. Just listen to them. Just hear them. Just hold that stuff with them. You might not even pray for them in that moment. It would be enough of giving you permission to just hold it with them and bear witness to each other's lives. Can we do that this week? Just simply bear witness to each other's lives. All this social media stuff, the likes, the, all that stuff, we are craving, craving somebody bearing witness to our lives. And the Holy Spirit says, I through the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears of the people that he's bringing into our lives this week. Okay? So, that's the invitation for this week. What's one of those formational experiences? And then share it with somebody. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group. <laughs> and if you are, uh, excuse me, if you're not going to get into a life group this 